This week on Blue 58, the Packers say hello to a new defensive coordinator and say goodbye to a longtime personnel man while we get started on a new big project. Then, how do we answer the biggest question of the 2017 season? By asking a bunch more questions, of course. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one, the only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, coming to you a day later than is usually scheduled due to a variety of circumstances conspiring this week to make this podcast one day later than usual. Most of those circumstances having to do with food poisoning, which I can now say from first-hand experience, I would not recommend. Avoid that at all costs if you can. Don't get food poisoning. There is my life advice for 2018. Take that for whatever you will. Let's dive right into the headlines. Two big ones for the Packers this week. First and foremost, the Packers hire Mike Pettin, not Patin, Mike Pettin, as I learned this week, to be their new defensive coordinator. He comes to the Packers after some experience as a head coach with the Cleveland Browns, his most recent official coaching experience. He worked as a bit of a consultant with the Seattle Seahawks uh, for this past season and is generally pretty widely regarded for his coordinator work prior to that. He was the defensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills in 2013, uh, the coordinator for the New York Jets from 2009 to 2012 under head coach Rex Ryan, and he worked in several different roles with the Baltimore Ravens prior to that, after he made the, the leap from high school all the way to the NFL in 2009. I don't know a whole lot about him uh, as a coach. Um, He apparently runs a pretty complex defense. Uh, What I do like to communicate or what I would like to communicate about him is what we can know about his defense. And I think the the things that you can know without doing an in-depth study of of how his defenses operate on an actual game-in, game-out basis is look at what he has said about his defenses. And he has said quite a bit about his defenses. He's pretty forthcoming with his philosophy. To that end, a quote from his time as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns about the defense he likes to run. Quote, It's a situation where I think people try to compartmentalize too much and just broad stroke it. 3-4, what are you? And my answer to that question is yes to all the above. We are a multiple front attacking pressure style defense. We're going to stay man, we're going to play man coverage, we're going to play zone coverage. What we're going to do defensively is take advantage of what our players do well. End quote. To me, that's music to my ears. Especially after what we've seen over the last couple seasons over uh, of players seemingly being asked to play in a system that doesn't necessarily suit their skills and not ending up on the field as a result. Some of those more bottom-of-the-roster guys, I, I don't know if we ever got a chance to see whether they could really play or not because, well, they just couldn't execute Dom Caper's scheme. Now, Pettin has apparently a pretty complex scheme as well, but if he's really focused on taking advantage of what his players can do well, I think he'll be able to work with what the Packers give him. And hopefully they'll be giving him a little bit more than they gave Dom Capers over the past couple of years. A little bit more on his philosophy from his former head coach, Rex Ryan. Uh, this to Rob Domovsky uh, earlier this month, just last week, in fact. Quote, Ryan says, He's not one of these guys who's going to play one or two fronts and three coverages. This guy is going to give you the gamut. We have a philosophy, and Mike has it. It's a kill philosophy. Keep it likable and learnable. And that's what we do, and that team is going to play fast and play physical, and I can't wait to watch them. Say what you will about Rex Ryan. He's a bit of a buffoon in a lot of ways, and I think he would even admit that. He's been a pretty successful buffoon in a lot of his NFL stops. Um, but... 
he knows defense and he's been successful coaching defenses everywhere that he's gone Uh, varying degrees of success to be sure but successful undeniably and if he thinks that Pennon's going to be a good defensive coordinator for the Packers and he's excited to see what they do that's good enough for me and I think that's about all we can know right now about how this new defensive coordinator is going to play out for the Packers moving right along headline number two Elliot Wolf is gone moving on to a new position or maybe much the same position with the Cleveland Browns. Over the past couple of years, it really wasn't clear what Wolf's position actually was with the Green Bay Packers. He was the director hyphen football operations, as opposed to Ted Thompson's director of football operations. What he actually did in that role is not really clear. Now he's going to be John Dorsey's assistant general manager, apparently, which is reportedly similar to the position he was offered under Brian Gutekunst here in Green Bay or there in Green Bay. I'm not in Green Bay right now. Where the Packers are in Green Bay, Elliot Wolf was offered the position of assistant general manager. I understand why he wouldn't want to take that position. And I also think it's worth mentioning that he's probably not going to be in Cleveland all that long. So is this a big loss for the Packers in the short term? Possibly. In the long term, it's hard to say. We really don't know that much about Elliot Wolf, And anybody who's trying to tell you that they do really doesn't know that much either unless there's somebody who you get to talk to who's pretty high up in some NFL personnel circles it's going to be a while before we know who's the real deal and that goes for Brian Gutekunst as well Wolf is not going to stay in Cleveland long we'll be able to get an idea of what he really is like as a general manager here in the next couple years once he finally gets his own general manager position It is a loss for the Packers, like I said, in the short term, and you don't want to have that brain drain going on too long in your organization. And one of the big challenges for Brian Gutekunst over the next couple weeks and months is going to be filling out his personnel side of the organization, hiring those scouts, hiring those other personnel guys who are going to fill these roles that guys like Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith left when they moved on to Cleveland. Uh, Gutekunst is also going to have to guy to, to find guys who can do the sort of job that he did uh, before he got his big promotion uh, only a little over a week ago. Boy, things move fast in the offseason when your team has a lot of things to do. All that to say, short-term loss probably, long-term hard to say. In any event, we know that Wolf is gone now, and we're seeing those those subsequent changes play out that we predicted would happen when the Packers ultimately made their move at general manager. This could, I think, have been worse for the Packers if they had gone with somebody like Russ Ball, the clubhouse favorite early on to be the next general manager. I think there's a a strong possibility that they could have lost both Gutekunst and Wolf, which would have been a disaster because then you've got nobody with any high-level personnel experience other than Ted Thompson left in the organization. And I think that's a pretty bad problem to have. As of right now, though, they have Gutekunst, who is pretty highly regarded. They have Ball, who is phenomenal at what he does from what we know about. And Wolf is on the way out. Age probably plays a factor in that, and there's really nothing that can be helped about that. But the Packers will have to to backfill uh, to to replace guys like Wolf and Highsmith in the meantime. Finally, the last headline I want to point out to you before we dive into our big main topic today is that our season recap series is started. We are evaluating each and every player who has lined up for the Green Bay Packers in any capacity this year to the extent that we can and uh, trying to give you our opinion on whether they uh, met 
did not meet or perhaps exceeded our expectations for this season. So far, we've already posted three of those recaps. You can see them all at thepowersweep.com. Quentin Rollins led us off this year, and boy, uh, I think it's hard to say that he met expectations this year, but read the piece to find out. Uh, Moving on, we have Morgan Burnett and Aaron Rupkowski, uh, all three of those uh, pieces up and available right now at thepowersweep.com. And new for this year, you will also have the opportunity to give your vote on each one of those pieces as we run them in the form of a Twitter poll attached to each and every one of them. So keep an eye out for those at that fine website, twitter.com. And be sure to give us a follow if you haven't uh, yet already. Uh, but you will have, like I said, the opportunity to make your voice heard. And I sure hope you do because it adds an interesting element uh, to our process with these pieces and it'll make for an interesting compilation once all of these pieces are done thank you so much for reading all those they are among our most popular posts that we do each and every year and we're excited to see uh, how people react to them this year certainly a lot to talk about for the 2017 packers that is for sure before we dive into our big topic for this week i want to direct you to our teespring.com store it's the place where we house each and every one of our t-shirt designs our t-shirts our sweatshirts our long sleeve t-shirts our stickers and many more fine goodies uh, emblazoned with the power sweep logo and all sorts of other fanciful slogans and things like that they look pretty good they're very comfortable and these are pretty high quality shirts as well you're going to enjoy wearing each and every one of these i have family members who wear them Uh, gary wears them i wear them they're top notch and i think they're worth the money that you spend uh, on these shirts at teespring.com you can find your way to our store uh, via the store link at thepowersweep.com or you can uh, support us on patreon and get a special link to a, a store or a version of our online store where you can get 25 percent off all of your purchases uh, at teespring.com all of your purchases i should say uh, from the power sweep that is great way to support uh, the power sweep i think and a great way to look good while you do it as well so uh, give that a shot Uh, Give that a look at some time. We appreciate your support. And if you've got a design that you would like to see us feature, let us know. We may uh, try to include that in the future. We're always looking for new ideas, and the more, the better. So don't be shy. Reach out if you've got an idea that you would like to see in a future uh, design for a t-shirt. Moving on, diving into our main topic here. I mentioned this uh, not too far in the in the past that uh, I was working on this this podcast subject before all hell broke loose for the Packers and uh, they started making serious changes in the front office and the coaching staff. I wanted to take a look at what I think is the biggest question for the Packers coming out of the 2017 season and really it doesn't boil down to just one question. It's a, it's a variety of questions, all of them centering around one main topic and that is the treatment of the quarterback position. This question or series of questions I think affects every level of the organization from the players to the coaches to the front office and it could very well shape the future of the Packers organization at least in the near term. Um, The Packers did not handle their quarterback position very well in 2017. I don't think that point is really arguable. I don't think you can say you can take the opposite position and say wow I'm Clearly, it, it was just a bad break for the Packers, and uh, there's a whole bunch of things that you know could have gone differently if, if blah, blah, blah. But if you had handled things better, maybe it doesn't matter so much if Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone, especially if you can tread water a little bit more for the two months while he's out. Maybe if the Packers had prepared for this situation a little bit better, Aaron Rodgers missing some time 
doesn't turn out to be such a big deal. Maybe it doesn't destroy their whole 2017 season. But how did we get to this point? Well, I think there are seven questions on the quarterback position that we need to address. And they start with Brett Hundley. How was he so unprepared for this moment? Setting aside all of the other questions about the quarterback position, who they should have signed, how they should have drafted, this, that, and the other thing. When it comes down to it, this season pivoted on the performance of Brett Hundley as a quarterback. And he was. it's very clear that he was not prepared for this situation. So how did this come to be? I don't know if there's a good answer to that. But if you use one of my least favorite phrases in NFL analysis, and if you watch the film, it's pretty clear to me that he doesn't look a whole lot different this year than he did when he was coming out of college. What you saw in college was a guy who was not really comfortable passing from the pocket. He's a guy who was an extremely good athlete. Uh, That has never been in question as far as Brett Hundley goes. But a guy who who was not polished as a passer and really relied pretty strongly on his first read being open and things started to break down from there. When he entered his first game with the Packers, I think you could say that he wasn't more prepared because he didn't have to be. He wasn't prepared for this season or for this this first opportunity he had against the Minnesota Vikings because he didn't have to be. I mean, what's the point in preparing Brett Hundley uh, to, to play for a game in which Aaron Rodgers is lost to a catastrophic injury? Uh, you're going to have to pare back the playbook so much, especially in a situation where you're on the road uh, playing against a, a ferocious defense such as the Minnesota Vikings. It, well, why bother? Like, why bother getting Brett Hundley um, prepared for that defense? It, okay, I, I'm willing to cede, cede that point. It really doesn't matter. But beyond that, why was he repeating the same mistakes again and again and again and again and again? Why was he rolling out and rolling out and rolling out or just continuing to fade away in the pocket, giving up sacks that he didn't have to take? Why was that? And who should answer for that? Uh, the why is, is difficult to answer. But the who, I think, is pretty obvious. It's Mike McCarthy. Uh, he was the one who famously said that he had three years invested in Brett Hundley. Well, if that level of preparation is evidence of three years of time put into Brett Hundley, man, that's a a pretty firm indictment of Mike McCarthy. And, you know, it's possible that Hundley was just a a weak vessel to begin with, not, not one that they should have wasted time preparing in the first place. But still, how do you enter this situation or at least carry on through this situation with a quarterback who just is not making the changes that he needs to make. That is a question that I do not think is is answerable in a positive way for the Packers. How did Brett Hundley come to be so unprepared? Question number two, addressing that guy who is responsible for preparing Brett Hundley, Mike McCarthy. Should he have made a change at some point this season? I wrote very shortly after Brett Hundley was officially named the starting quarterback, that the Packers had to avoid the sunk cost fallacy. They couldn't just stick to Brett Hundley because they had invested a lot of time and resources into developing him as a quarterback. That's not a very good reason for continuing along a course of action. Continuing to do something once it's become very apparent that you shouldn't be doing it 
is just stupid. And it's possible that the backers were just being stupid this year. And I think that's a question that Mike McCarthy has not satisfactorily answered this year. And I doubt he is ever going to really be put in a situation where he has to answer that question or even would answer that question as to why he didn't make the change or any change uh, to his starting quarterback. But a related question to this is who would he have even changed to? Joe Callahan? Interesting that you should ask that, fictional listener, because that is the very next question that we need to deal with here. Joe Callahan, why was he even on the Packers roster in the first place? Clearly, Mike McCarthy didn't feel comfortable making a change and putting Brett, uh, putting Joe Callahan in to play meaningful reps at quarterback. And being uncomfortable with putting him in at quarterback, I think, is not the problem. But asking why you're unquarter, or uncomfortable putting him out there is is a justifiable question. And if you're not putting him out there because you don't think he can play, why is he even here in the first place? I said at the start of last season that I didn't think that Joe Callahan, the, the, the season before this past one, 2016, that Joe Callahan didn't look like he had the physical tools to play at the NFL level. And I still 100% believe that. Nothing disproved that this preseason, and he clearly didn't show enough behind the scenes to merit any kind of serious lasting look for the Packers during a game that counted for anything. So why was he here in the first place? Did the Packers really think they had no better option anywhere in the NFL than Joe Callahan as their number two behind Brett Hundley? I mean, just imagine if Hundley had gone down at some point this season and you're throwing five foot ten and a half inch Joe Callahan out there. And I know Joe Callahan is listed at six foot tall or six foot one, whatever it is. But if you believe that, I've got a bridge to sell you. Uh, he is, he's not that big. He is a tiny little guy. Well, I mean, at, as far as an NFL player goes, he's just not a big dude. And it shows in the way that he plays. He just He's not big. He's not strong. He, I guess he's relatively fast for a quarterback, maybe. But what do you say about him as a player? It just does not have the tools that you need from an NFL quarterback. So why keep him around? Why bother with that? And this is another question that I don't have a good answer to. But I think it says a lot about how the Packers handled their quarterback position that he was allowed to stay on the roster and they didn't ever seem to really make any serious overtures about making a change. There was uh, the situation towards midseason when they talked about uh, bringing in Brian Hoyer, but uh, that's about as serious as it got. And beyond, you know, kicking the tires on Hoyer, you, you were really that convinced that Callahan was the, the guy behind Hundley? If it came to that, that's hard to believe. But it seems like that's what the Packers did believe because they didn't do anything else other than keep Joe Callahan around. But there was another option. It didn't necessarily have to be this way. And this is something that we have to talk about. A guy by the name of Taysom Hill as we come to question number four. Why was he let go? The only logical conclusion for this is the Packers had to have thought they could get him to the practice squad. But why would they think that? Just compared to their physical gifts, Taysom Hill is the obvious choice. And just looking at how they performed in the preseason, how could you possibly think that you could get Taysom Hill to the practice squad? 
Look at how they performed. And more importantly, look at how they looked as they performed. Which one of them looks like an NFL player? It's Taysom Hill every single time. Bigger, stronger, faster, stronger arm, more accurate. How could you think that Callahan was a better option? This was a tremendous, serious miscalculation for the Packers. And it would have made things very interesting had Hale been around during the season because the the Packers would have had at least a semi-legitimate option. Uh, At least he's athletic enough to play at the NFL level. At least he's got a big enough arm to play at the NFL level. Behind Hundley, if Callahan had been gone and Hale had been with the Packers in Green Bay. There is still another option that we need to talk about. I don't have a lot to say about Taysom Hill, but I think it was a gross miscalculation that the the Packers let him go, especially with how the season ended up turning out. But there was another option, and it's a name that we all know. We have to talk about Colin Kaepernick. Could he have helped the Packers when Aaron Rodgers went down? At the time when Rodgers went down, I said no, or at the very least, I'm not sure. And that's in large part because we didn't know what the Packers really had yet in Brett Hundley. But now that we know about Hundley, absolutely he could have helped. He would have 100% been better than Brett Hundley. And the timing on this, I think, is really important. If the Packers are going to sign Kaepernick, there would have had to been some, some stones behind this decision because they would have had to have done it pretty quickly after... Uh, after Rodgers went down. I think the latest it could have happened would have been at week eight, the bye week. Earlier than that, it's really too soon to move on from Brett Hundley. And I do think that the Packers did owe that decision a fair shake. They had to see what they had in Hundley. But after you know three quarters of a game against the Vikings in a full game, after a full week of preparation against the Saints, I think you see what you got there. Uh, and really, it didn't change much for Hundley, especially after the bye week and the Packers went into the latter half of the season. After the bye week, after week eight, week nine, 10, 11, and 12, the Packers had a stretch of what turned out to be four very winnable games. They were at home against the Lions. They were on the road against the Bears. They were at home against the Ravens. And then they were on the road against the Steelers. The Packers went one and three in that stretch. And I think with uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, they probably go 4-0 or at, at the very least 3-1. and But look at it from the situation where Aaron Rodgers is still injured. Even a marginally better quarterback, marginally better play from that position could have pushed the Packers to 2-2 two and two or even 3-1 and one in that stretch. That Lions game was extremely winnable. That Ravens game, though it was a 26 to nothing shutout, was not even close to the blowout that it looks like on paper. Uh, the the Packers should have been in that game, and they would have if they had anything resembling competent quarterback play. And who knows what happens against the Steelers if you've got a, a quarterback who can make one or two more plays for your team. I mean, Brett Hundley was good in that game, but a lot of the throws that he were making or he was making were just wide open, and it's it's tough to. It's tough to really argue, given how the game looks, that a different quarterback could have made things better for the Packers. But I think it could have. And I think that having a guy, even like Colin Kaepernick, in there for the Packers may have been a big difference, even in that game. That was the stretch where the season was decided. Think how much one extra win or two extra wins could have benefited the Packers down the stretch. Maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to rush back. Maybe 
They still lose against the, the Panthers, but they have an opportunity to win two divisional games against the Vikings and Lions in the final two weeks of the season to get into the playoffs. Sure, maybe it's better long-term that the Packers don't make the playoffs and have to make some big changes as a result, but at least they're in the conversation if, uh, if they've got some better quarterback play there. And the reason they didn't have better quarterback play really comes back to one person, Ted Thompson. My question about Ted Thompson is why did he leave everyone else to, out to dry in 2017? Now, a lot of the problems the Packers had at quarterback in 2017 were because of failures that Thompson made prior to 2017. The 2013 season, for example, when uh, Aaron Rodgers went down the last time with a broken collarbone, Ted Thompson had some failures there. He did not adequately stock the backup quarterback position. And as a result, he drafted Brett Hundley. Um, to be his his backup a couple of years later. But clearly that was that was a failure and he made the double failure there of first not not having adequate backups and secondly failing um to pick up a competent backup uh in the draft when he had a chance because I think we can agree that Brett Hundley was not the answer for the Packers last year. And he he came to Green Bay because Ted Thompson wanted him here. But his failures prior to 2017 were compounded by additional failures in 2017, mostly failures to act when he had a chance. He could have brought in Colin Kaepernick or another veteran quarterback when he had the chance. But on top of that, he made Mike McCarthy stand up for Ted Thompson's failures in 2017. Never once did Ted Thompson come out and say, this is why we're doing what we're doing at the quarterback position. This is why we're sticking with Brett Hundley. This is why we're not signing a veteran backup. This is why we're not doing X, Y, or Z. All of the responsibility for answering those questions fell to Mike McCarthy, and that's not his job. It's not Mike McCarthy's job to explain personnel issues, personnel decisions to the media. Yet he was forced to do that last season, and that is entirely unfair to Mike McCarthy. He was forced by Ted Thompson's reluctance to talk to the media to own Ted Thompson's mistakes. Why should he have to do that? Sure, Mike McCarthy made plenty of mistakes in 2017, and I think he admitted that. I think he said a lot of that in his season-ending press conference, even when he said that Brett Hundley was not adequately prepared to play when he had the chance. But there were also a lot of mistakes that were not Mike McCarthy's fault, and the person responsible for those mistakes is never going to have to answer for them at all, or at least not defend them publicly. And I think of all Thompson's failures as general manager, forcing other people to own his mistakes might be the worst one. I don't care if Thompson wants to talk to the media or not. I actually got quite a few kicks out of his refusal to talk to the media, mostly because of how mad it made the media that they couldn't just get free news stories out of his quotes from press conferences. I know, I've been a reporter. Those are the easiest stories to turn in the world. You go to a news conference, you get a bunch of boilerplate quotes, you write a little bit around them, boom, you got your story for the day. Not a real big deal. That Thompson doesn't do that makes reporters' lives more miserable. And I think that's kind of funny because I've been in that position. And you know what we didn't do publicly or on Twitter? Complain about it when people refuse to talk to us because that's just poor form. But when it's Ted Thompson, apparently you get free license to do that. Anyway... That notwithstanding, it's still a big failure to force other people to own his mistakes. And that's really what we saw in 2017. 
The final question has to do with Aaron Rodgers, because as goes Aaron Rodgers, so goes the Green Bay Packers. I think that's been the case for quite some time. It was very much the case in 2017. But that's that's pretty much what happens when you've got an all-world franchise quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. The question is, how much does he have left? Because in 2017, we got a pretty painful taste of what life could be like after Aaron Rodgers calls it quits. It's what's called reality for most NFL teams. And it wasn't very pleasant. But fortunately, he's not calling it quits just yet. Someday he's going to. It's sooner rather than later, a lot sooner than it used to be. And just as likely as not, he's going to start to decline at some point before that happens, before he finally calls it quits. So when will he decline and when will he call it quits? Well, we don't know when he's going to quit. That's hard to say. It's also not easy to say when he's going to start to decline. It's tempting to say he's just going to start to decline because he's getting old. It's just as tempting to decline or to say that he's not going to decline because look at all these quarterbacks who have played well even into their late 30s and early 40s. But that's a mistake. And I think it's because of something called survivorship bias. Let me read you a quick definition. Uh, This is from Wikipedia. Yes, I know. But I think it's a good explanation of what survivorship bias is. It's the logical error of concentrating on the people or things that made it past some selection process and overlooking those that did not. Continuing on later in the article. Survivorship bias can lead to overly optimistic beliefs because failures are ignored, such as when companies that no longer exist are excluded from analyses of financial performance. So I think that you see that show up a lot when people are talking about quarterbacks that played into their late 30s. You're only talking about players who played into their late 30s because they were still good up and in, uh, up and through their early 30s and mid 30s. You're ignoring all those guys who retired because they couldn't do it anymore or got too hurt to continue. You get a little bit of a biased analysis because you're only looking at those guys that were still successful to play long into their 30s. There are two things that we can say, I think, pretty for certain about when quarterbacks start to decline. First, it's going to start around that age 35 or so, and Aaron Rodgers will turn 35 in December. But when it happens past the age of 35, we don't really know. It's pretty much a coin flip when they're going to start to really decline. It could be any year, but it's pretty much a 50-50 shot each and every year after they turn 35. Secondly, and perhaps most importantly, when they start to decline, they generally don't improve again. And that sounds pretty depressing, but it's, it's just a fact of life for quarterbacks and for all of us, I think. Uh, once we start to go downhill athletically, and maybe in some other areas too, Boy, I hope that doesn't apply to podcasters. Uh, we generally don't get better again. And uh, I, I hope that Aaron Rodgers doesn't start to decline anytime soon. But once it starts to really take effect, it's unlikely that we're going to see him become the, you know, perhaps MVP level quarterback he was before. I'm not saying he's past that point already, but once he passes that point, I don't think we're going to see him come back and be that guy again. Depressing reality to be sure, but we're not quite there yet, but it is important for the Packers to be aware of that and to start preparing for it, lest we see another situation like we saw in 2017. While I've got you here, I want to point out one final thing, or maybe just say one final thing. I will never, ever, in a million years, root for the Minnesota Vikings in any capacity. I feel like I have to point this out because I've seen an increasingly popular sentiment 
uh, on the parts of the internet where I hang out, of people seemingly being willing to put rivalries aside and root for the Vikings just because oh, proximity, because they're from the NFC North or something like that. I will never, ever, ever root for the Minnesota Vikings. And I am ashamed of all the Packers fans who say they are going to root for the Vikings to make it to the Super Bowl, to win the Super Bowl, or to achieve any level of success. I have lived among Minnesota Vikings fans. They're among the most unpleasant people I've ever met. Uh, I have no desire to spend any amount of time with them, to be in their city ever again, to be in their stadium ever. I will never root for the Minnesota Vikings. I do not like the Vikings. I have disliked them since I very first saw the colors that they wore. I have unpleasant childhood memories associated with that color, uh, in large part because of poor experiences with <laughs> terribly unpleasant medication as a child. The Minnesota Vikings remind me of that experience. And them beating the Packers in that awful stadium, the Metrodome, for years and years only solidified those feelings. And I will not set them aside out of some colloquial familiarity or anything like that, not out of good-natured support or anything like that. I will never root for the Minnesota Vikings, ever. I hope they lose this weekend by 50 points. I hope their stadium catches fire and burns to the ground. I hope they relocate that franchise to the moon. I will never in a million years root for the Vikings. And if by some unpleasant circumstance they end up facing the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl, I will root as hard as I have ever rooted for anything for Bill Belichick to run them right out of that fraudulently funded stadium and into the cold Minnesota night. That is my stance and I am sticking to it. Whew, glad to get that off my chest. Thank you for suffering through that. That's all I've got for you this week. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and Twitter. I believe you know how to get a hold of us there as well. If you'd like to reach us via email, you may do so at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you would be so kind at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or buy a fine t-shirt at Teespring, the link to which you can find at thepowersweep.com. Com. Look for the store link. You can also leave us a review if you would be so kind on iTunes. That's still the best place and where most people find the show. Uh, and if you would do us the kindness of leaving us a review and a rating there, that would help more people do just that. Uh, if it, you would love to leave us a positive review, we'd also appreciate that very much. But your honest feelings are always appreciated about Blue 58 and the Power Sweep in general. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. And smarter Packers fans are, all, uh, as I always say, better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we're all trying to be. I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next week on Blue 58.